Hello and welcome to another episode of Fast Talk. I am your host, Trevor Connor, here with my now regular co-host, Rob Pickles. How are you doing today, Rob? Oh, I am doing fantastic and can't wait to talk about some workouts. We've done this before. This is kind of a fun episode. We ask all of our guests, what is their favorite workout? We don't try to direct them anywhere. It's always interesting to hear what they have to say. We record what the workout is, why you'd use it, and hopefully this gives all of you some interesting ideas of things you can throw into your routine to maybe change it up, to to get that little bit extra, or to hit a side of your energy systems you hadn't hit before. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to hear what other people are doing. I know that I've come across some fun workouts, definitely, from listening to other people. A lot of different people, a lot of different insights coming up here, but there's a little bit of a theme around kind of some unstructured stuff this time around. Yeah, in the past, when we asked people their favorite workouts, we got some pretty complex workouts. And boy, I think there was one from Neil Henderson. It was his kitchen sink where uh, I had to actually sit down and listen to the recording and map it out in Training Peaks to even understand this thing was so complicated. But we got a lot of structure from people in the past. This time around, as you said, we give no bias. We just ask people, what is your favorite workout Interestingly, everybody just kind of went to, well, here's something that I enjoy, but it's not structured. Yeah. I will say, though, I think that there's a difference between being unstructured and not having a purpose, right? You can go out and you can do an unstructured workout, but you can know what zones you're trying to hit and, and everything else. Maybe the difference here is that the terrain is dictating the length you're putting in the effort for a little bit more than the stopwatch is. But we're out there. I think everybody has a purpose to why they're doing these. Right. And I think you're, you're kind of hitting on the key message, which is there's a lot of different ways to get to the same place. And some of it can be, well, I've got to do two minutes of this and then a minute of that and then 30 seconds of this. But you can also get to a good high level just saying, well, if I use the train, if I use some hills, hit them hard, it might not be exactly two minutes. It might not be exactly one minute, but I'm still going to hit those energy systems. I'm still going to get the benefits. Yeah, definitely. And, and absolutely no commentary on Neil. But what I've seen at times, I think, is coaches who are maybe unsure of themselves, they write super complicated workouts to really just lend some credibility. If you write something that's so exact and so specific, then you must know what you're talking about. And uh, as we like to say, you know, energy systems ultimately are king here. So I think uh, unstructured can definitely work. Yep. Listeners, since you listen to Fast Talk every week, you know that knowledge is power. And power is speed. There's no better way to get faster or to achieve your goals than by training smarter, not harder. We know that more is not better. So check this out. We have reduced the price to join Fast Talk Labs. So you're saying less is more? Uh, Something like that. Now listeners can join Fast Talk Labs for just $5 per month. That's 75% less. Get full access to all our guides to training science, intervals, sports nutrition, pathways, and data analysis, all from world-class experts for just $5 a month. There's never been a better time to join Fast Talk Labs. Join now at FastTalkLabs.com. So let's dive into our first one here. And this is from Dr. Inugo Sam Milan. Now, interesting, this is almost a part two to our last favorite workouts episode because we had him on that episode and he talked about his absolute favorite ride, which is that zone two long ride right around your aerobic threshold. 
But this time around, he's, he's starting with the zone two, and I think this is something that you do more in the season, but likes combining his two favorite things, which is a zone two workout with some lactate threshold work. Yeah, and he said, you know, this is something that he uses a lot with the pros in the pro peloton, right? And and so these are big days with big climbs that everybody's doing, and uh, he's getting them ready to take on that challenge. Yep. So interesting workout. Give this a try. But when you start throwing in some lactate threshold work into a long zone two ride, don't plan anything for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's going to take a lot out of you. Yep. So let's hear from Dr. Samalan now. I love obviously the, the zone two and I love the uh, lactate threshold. Those are the two main pillars for me. And even combining both. I really like both. Combine them in the same session. So how would you combine them in, a, in the same session? So do like a zone two day and halfway through and at the end, do like a 15, 20 minute climb at uh, zone four. That's a great, great training, great session. And you can see that the capabilities of that athlete, because sometimes you have a, like a zone four days or intensity days where they're isolated. There are shorter sessions and uh, yeah, they can put a great amount of power output, but then um, yeah, it's just like you have to do that with four hours in your legs, right? Or five hours. And this is where those those days they they can really tell you a lot of uh, of what's going on with that athlete. I really like those sessions. So, what is the benefit physiologically of combining those two? Well, you're stimulating both energy systems within one day. So, yeah, some days you have to, you know, split them, uh, but other days you can combine them, and it's a good way because uh, it might simulate also more competition pace. You know, I, I see, you know, many of the competition pace. The average is could be. At the pro tour level, 3.74 watts per kilogram, right? Uh, and then at the end, they have to go at 6.2 or 6.3 or 6 watts per kilogram, right? So that, that, that's what I, I like then to go, hey, go at 3.7, 4 watts per kilogram. And then at the end, do a, uh, a 6 watts per kilogram interval and see how it goes, right? So if it goes well, I think we're on the right track. And if you can't keep up, okay, we have to revisit things. <laughs> and and. Let's uh, also just point out that is top pro numbers that you just quoted. Most people doing a zone two ride at four watts per kilogram is not a zone two ride. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm talking about, yeah, these have guys that their numbers are unbelievable. Yeah. yeah no, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. When would you do this? Is this something you do all year round or is this something more in, uh, as you get into the season? Yeah, I would say the more as you get into, into the season. Yeah, it's, it's quite demanding, right? But I would do more like once you're getting almost prep to start the season and, and during the season here and there. Yeah. All right. So this next one is from Brent Bookwalter. And when we talked with him, he had just retired from professional cycling. So I actually did push him a little bit and said, now that you're not a pro, what do you like to do on the bike? And he brought up, he loves to just go out and use the terrain around him, use these loops where he throws in some climbs different lengths, different intensities to hit multiple energy systems. And Rob, I'm the guy that I'm big on go out and hit one energy system on a ride. So I'm interested in your take on a workout where you're hitting a whole bunch. Yeah. You know, I think that what's interesting, we just heard from Dr. Sen Milan, who's looking at multi-energy systems, maybe racking up a lot of a big TSS sort of day. And now we have a former pro who's ultimately talking about the same thing. You know, so I think that um, maybe different people need different things, but I can see Brent's workout, you know, building up a lot of training stress on the body, hopefully a lot of adaptation, but uh, maybe they're specific to certain individuals that can take this on and, and maybe the rest of us, Trevor, need to be one energy system. Let's hear from Brent. 
for me, the things that were a little more dynamic in nature and different sort of the um, the varied pace hit multiple energy systems in a ride. Maybe I, maybe I said this one before, but one of them that I loved is, so like I said, I always, throughout my whole career and still now, I, I love loops. You know, I'm, that's one of the privileges of living, um, I think, in the, in the East Coast. You know, there's just tons of roads out there. And whether you're doing a, you know, an hour ride or a six-hour ride, I can do all sorts of different little loops. Mm-hmm. But yeah, make a loop with three or four climbs, say 20 minutes. And I would do a little bit different work on each climb. So like the the first climb, I would do just like a gradual progression up to threshold. And then I'll hold it at threshold for a little bit the last few minutes. The second climb, I would ride at like a tempo, like zone three kind of pace. And I would, every few minutes, I would throw in like very length accelerations. So like some real hard, but really short, like six to 10 second ones. And then, you know, maybe a couple of ones that are like 30 seconds to a minute, a little longer. And then on the last climb, I would do like, like an over under basically like a, yeah, two or three minutes above threshold. And then like two or three minutes right below. And then like a little squeeze at the top, kind of like a, a race simulation. Yeah. And then the, the modification to that would be like in testing phase, like if I was out on the road and I'm feeling good and things are lining up and I'm like, I want to push myself then I would do like a. Then I would do one more climb and just just empty the tank. That way, that that workout, like you really rack up quite a bit of energy expenditure as well. Yep. Rack up a lot of accumulated climbing, hit a bunch of energy systems, and you can do it in a loop. So it takes a lot of boxes for me. Oh, that's cool. So what would you feel is the benefits of this workout? Like what would you use it for? Well, I think it's quite race specific. Yeah, in terms of the the climbing accumulation, the varied intensities. You know, probably the hardest of those climbs is the last one, which is often also like a race. It's not necessarily good for just creating your best ever power numbers, but it's uh yeah, it's it's a great workout for that bridging a gap between races or trying to push myself into those first races of the year. So this is a workout that you'd use right before the start of the race season, or you'd do use this during the race season. What would you do? Yeah, it? yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, I actually do a similar workout. That's actually it's it's a lot of fun. Boy, you get a you you get a lot of work in. You come home tired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's the best. And then, yeah, I just I love the loop nature of it because then you got to get around. Like, there's no there's yeah. no turning around. You get over that second climb, and it's like, oh, shit. all right, well, I got to go over this next one to get home. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? When uh, that's actually being in Colorado, it's it's actually hard to do loops. So that's the one issue. Yeah. When you're hurting, you're always 20 minutes from home. It's easy to get home. <laughs> There's pluses to that too. <laughs> yeah. But I miss the yeah. workouts where you're suffering. You're like, and it's going to be two hours to get home. I got no choice here. Yeah. Yeah. Get endorphins off that. Yep. So our next workout comes from Kendra Wenzel. And this is possibly the most structured of all the workouts we're going to have in this particular episode. So she uses a hill for this, but this is 35 to 45 second all out sprints. So I think this is something that you're doing in season to really bring about that race form. But Rob, any thoughts you have here? Uh, just that she's a woman after my own heart with these uh, really hard, steep 35 to 45 second efforts. You know, this is bread and butter for me. I do think that it's really important for uh, acceleration, even if you're not a sprinter right? There are times that you have to attack. There are times you need to break away from the group. And uh, so, yeah, I think everybody can benefit from this. And, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to pull off. She gives a good explanation. So let's just dive into hearing what Kendra has to say about this workout. 
So my favorite workout is a workout called Killer Hill Sprints. Um, the idea is to come in at a slow roll into a steep hill and looking for a sprint that's going to last 35 to almost 45 seconds. Um, so it's going to be longer than the sprint that most people like to do. And then ideally doing it with a group. I like to do this with a, a group uh, at a park here in Portland, Oregon. And uh, what we do is that we handicap it. And my, my goal is that everybody is coming to the line, sprinting to the line at the same time. So the people who are not quite as sprint specialists are going to take off first. And then the sprinters are going to have to come last and try to catch everybody. And then we usually do those in restricted gears. And for the first couple, they are not able to shift. So what happens in a, a sprint like that is that you are at first probably undergeared. And then that gear is going to start to bite and the athlete's going to feel really good and they're going to feel like they're really accelerating. And then that feeling of acceleration is going to wear off and they're going to feel like they're going fast. And then they're going to hit about that 30 second mark and they're going to feel like they want to stop. And at this point, they should be out of the saddle going as hard as they can uh, still all the way through the line. And usually when I teach this, uh, this workout, I am standing on the line. So there's no cheating. And, uh, you know, I'm encouraging them as they go across. Um, and so it's to push through that absolute, complete maximal work. Um, and usually when we do these, we'll see the fastest sprint will come on the second one once they're entirely warmed up. You people will warm up. They'll have them do a couple of shorter sprints before we do it. But, but they'll, on that second one, when they really get it, that'll be their best effort. If you do these right, usually you do can do about four well. Sometimes people go into five. After that, it's pretty useless. It's not going to be as much good work. But it, it's a great workout in that people really, really have to push themselves harder than they ever thought they could. And when they show up to these workouts, even if they've been doing them at their own at home, we'll see 30 to 40 watt higher efforts than they've been doing for that, you know, 35 second. And those these sprints will generally be where we see their their minute highs for the year. So what's the recovery length between each sprint? So usually we're, you know, milling around, coming uh, down the, the hill, sitting again for about three to five minutes. I'd say probably between each one is about on the low side. You know, if it's raining and everyone just wants to get it over with, uh, it would be five minutes. And on the high side, it'd be 10. It, it really depends. You know, at the end, we're always checking with everyone, are you ready to go? Because we're trying to extract the best, hardest, the best performance out of every single sprint in that workout. So what is the reason? What are the benefits to these these sprints? You know, this is putting on a lot of pure power, just sprint power all the way through their game. There's a race called the Mount Tabor Series here in Portland uh, that happens at this same park um, that starts, well. that we time these four and almost always comes down to how well you can climb this short hill and how well you can sprint. Um, and this kind of, we put this to this workout together aimed at this kind of sprint racing, um, you know, road racing ending in a sprint. And a long sprint, so you almost always a, a very extended sprint. So just being able to hold that sprint. And it was also uh, another reason that we had put this together was that a lot of people aren't quite sure when they should move into the saddle when they're sprinting. So what we've done with this is keep people out of the saddle all the way through the sprint to see where that slowdown kind of starts to come or where, where that leveling out might come. And on a, on a course like this too, you just you just wouldn't sit. You'd be standing the entire time, pushing all the way through the line. So it's to to train uh, just that that maximal 
push through when you want to give up. So this next one is really interesting for me because I am definitely all about the polarized training. I do give some sweet spot work to my athletes, but this is a true, pure, sweet spot workout. And the only thing that kind of bothers me about it, but, but Rob, let's hear what you have to say, is she calls it her bread and butter workout, meaning this is core, this is foundational. Yeah, you know, for me, I think it depends on the athlete. You know, we just heard about those hill sprints from Kendra, which are the things that, you know, they play to my strengths. I think two by 20 ultimately plays to my weakness, you know, and for someone like me, I do see some big benefit from doing these longer, more sweet spot effort rides. I mean, but that's, that's who I am. You know, maybe everyone should give a, give a chance to, and see if they benefit. I definitely agree. I think there is a value to this. I actually really like on long rides, giving my athletes some of these longer sweet spot efforts towards the end when they're a little bit fatigued. You get a little bit of what it's like in races where now you're going to have to be in that slightly uncomfortable zone, but maybe not all out and just learning some of that stamina. Yeah, there's definitely a mental component to just settling in and being okay with that slow burn for an extended period of time. Well, let's hear what Renee has to say about these. My go-to workout might be a two by 20 sweet spot workout because it's, you know, kind of a bread and butter workout you can do it when you're not too tired but it's a pretty good stress it's a good workout to get people like back into training or it's a good like midweek workout when you're you know racing so i guess that's my favorite workout two by 20 so how would you execute this obviously it's it's two 20 minute sweet spot efforts but what's the the recovery in between and does it matter if you do it on a climb or a flats or well, I live in Colorado, so we're doing it on a climb. Right, there we go. Uh, personally, I'm doing it on a climb because I got a nice 20-minute climb about three miles from my house. And that's the only place to really do a 20-minute continuous effort here in Colorado Springs anyway. Recovery for me but on, on sweet spots, I always tell people that it's not the biggest factor because it's a lot times controlled by like your terrain if you're doing it outside and you got to get to where you can do your two by twenties, you know, as long as your recovery is not 45 minutes long, you know, if it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, I don't think that it impacts the workout dramatically, but I would prescribe it with about five minutes of recovery because you shouldn't need that much recovery from a sweet spot. You can get that done in, you know, if you're quick about it, you can get that done in about an hour. Right. And what do you feel are the benefits of this workout? It's a form of, you know, FTP training, FTP maintenance, upper end aerobic, which is, you know, kind of the mainstay of what we need as as cyclists. The other thing is that it's the type of work that people might not do on their own, you know, especially people who, you know, might be heavy into racing and group rides and things like that that they don't do those long, sustained efforts. Right. Great. And then final question, is this a workout you would do all year long, or is there a particular time that you would prescribe this? Just about every phase of training that you could, you know, do sweet spot work in. I like it as a go-to when somebody's in a heavy, like, race phase, where they just kind of need some high-end aerobic or, or threshold maintenance um, if they're racing a lot, but it's not so taxing that it's going to overload them. And then in, you know, the winter in the early preparation 
spaces, it's a building block. It's a two by twenties first before a you know three by twenties or two by forty fives or or whatnot. So it's you know a, a building block, and maybe the the only time I'm not giving it to somebody is in their you know transition phase when I'm not giving them any intervals at all. Coaches, we're releasing the video recording of the USA Cycling Quarterly Conversation on FastTalkLabs.com. Watch this event to meet John Tarkington, USA Cycling's new Director of Coach Development and Education, and to hear keynote speaker Mike Ritchie, who's the head coach, founder, and owner of D3 Multisport. Coach Ritchie's presentation focuses on creating efficiencies that drive profitability for your coaching business. See more at FastTalkLabs.com. You know, so up to this point, we've talked a lot about climb and how the terrain is is forcing someone to ride hard or easy or whatever it is. But, you know, Joe Friel, when we asked him about his workout, he talked about group rides because they're making him ride harder, I think, sometimes than he wants to, you know, especially as he's getting a little older, his fitness is down. You know, that group ride is really something that helps him bring it up to another level. Yeah, I found that really interesting. And that's certainly something as I'm getting older, I'm finding really valuable about riding with other people. I used to have no problems riding by myself and doing every pace I want to go. But I now more and more find it hard to go out and go say, okay, I got to go at this intensity. If I'm just not having a good day. It's harder to find that motivation. And I think going out with people and having them drive the pace it forces you over that, whether you like it or not. Oh, no doubt. You know, and for me, group rides, oftentimes I try to go in with a purpose, you know, where, uh, you know, you can turn a group ride into intervals if you're rotating on the front and whatever else, you can turn them into a recovery ride, depending on the group, if you're sitting in the pack. You know, there are definitely some group rides around that are just making you, you know, you're bouncing on that threshold or super threshold the whole time. It's almost like motor pacing. So a group ride could mean a lot of different things depending on the group and, and how you look at it. So I don't think I've ever done a group ride and called it a recovery ride. Uh, probably not. It depends on the group, though. Well, let's hear from Joe. You know, sometimes this is the result of what your sport is. So it's not always going to be the same for every, for every sport. I'm a road cyclist, and my favorite workout is the one I dread the most. Which is? A group workout. A group ride. I, I ride with guys who are young enough to be my children, and um, I'm old enough now that I can no longer drop people. I, I used to be the kicker and now I'm the kicky uh, when I go on a group ride and uh, but I find that to be it, it it brings out all the things in me that I know I could not accomplish all by myself I'll climb hills harder than I normally would do I'll hang on longer than I would normally do if I was all, all by myself so all these things so, so the group ride in cycling is one of the key workouts that has to be there for the athlete that's got to be periodized also. So I'm not talking about doing these year-round like that, but it's got to be periodized. But when you get to the period where you're doing race-specific stuff, this is the race-specific workout. I no longer race. So now my race is my Sunday morning group ride. And uh, just like you, you know, when you're coming up to a race, you dread it. Everybody dreads going to a race because you know it's going to hurt. It's not going to be easy. If it's easy, it wouldn't be any fun. So I come to those workouts every week thinking, is there any reason, any, any excuse I could use to avoid this workout? Maybe it's too windy today, or maybe it's threatening rain, or maybe traffic is too heavy today to be riding down that highway. So I'm always thinking, but 
some way to get out of this, but I know what's going on. I'm simply dreading the workout because I know it, it's going to be very, very difficult. But I also know it's going to be very, very good for me in the long run. And so rarely do I miss one of those workouts because I enjoy them so much, especially when they're over. So what is, what do you feel is the greatest gain that you get out of doing that group ride? Greatest gain is knowing that I've accomplished something that I could not accomplish by myself. If I was going to do hill repeats, for example, which I said the last time is one of my work, favorite workouts, which, which is still to this day one of my favorite workouts, I know I could not push myself hard enough as I would do with the group. If I'm doing anaerobic capacity intervals, short hill repeats, you know, I may be able to hold on to it for 30, 40, 50 seconds, extremely high power output, very you know, high heart rate is starting to race to come up real rapidly. The legs are aching and your mind is saying, why the hell are you doing this? It hurts. I, I'll back off. I'll, I'll stop before it becomes overly painful. But if I'm riding with a group, I will do it anyway. I will hang in there all the way to the top of the hill and I'll do that over and over and over again with them, uh, even though it's much more painful than anything I would do by myself. But I know that I'm accomplishing something by doing that, but that's also got to be balanced by all this other stuff I do to rest. That's when I talk to the athletes, I always talk about doing two hard workouts a week. That's one of mine and five easy workouts a week. One of those five easy could be a day off, but five easy and two hard. And uh, as always, the two hard workouts should be workouts that you dread, that you don't look forward to because you know they're going to be not only uncomfortable, but even painful, perhaps. So that's, that's my favorite workout to this day. Okay. And you said you don't do this all year round. So when would you do this? Well, if I was racing, I would only do these in, say, the last 12 weeks before the race. That's when I would really focus on, on the group rides. I'm not racing anymore. So I get together with a group every Sunday. They, they do some races. They're still racing. They're all, like I said, they're all younger than me. But I'm not going to tell them not to do these workouts now, you know, wait until it's spring to do these workouts. I'm not going to tell them that because I want them along with me to kind of push me on these workouts myself. And I'll miss some of the workouts. Like when I, I travel quite a bit and when I do, I miss the, some of those workouts. And that's fine. That's, that's good. That's healthy to miss some of those workouts. But when I'm home... I always want to do those workouts because I know that I'm going to find my limits that day, and I enjoy doing that. The young guys I ride with, they can find those limits when they do their racing, but they're not, you know, they'd have no, they're not, it's not hard workouts for them. It's only hard for me. <laughs> Fair. So final question, any tricks, tactics to making sure you get the most out of that group ride? Yeah. Can I convince yourself that if you want to, you can quit? You know, there's nothing here that says I've got to get to the end of the ride with this group. I can just say, sayonara, guys, I'm on my own. I have to let you go today. As long as that's the back of your mind, I can quit anytime I want. You'll keep on going. If you try to convince yourself you cannot quit, you have to hang in there. It becomes even worse. It becomes now punishment instead of just a hard ride. And uh, so you have to always bear in the mind that you, you don't have to do this. You can stop anytime. There's nothing that's saying you got to do it. You can just say, guys, I'm, it's not my day. I'm heading back. So turn around and go the other direction. No loss of face whatsoever. You know, they have bad days also, so they understand. So far, I've never done that because it's always in the back of my mind. If that, Like I said, if that was not in the back of my mind, I probably would have quit a lot more workouts. So this next one comes from Jennifer Reel, who is on a Zwift racing team and is actually manager of a Zwift racing team. So I think you know where you're, this is going. There is a bit of a bias here. But I am going to say, I do think... Training races, hopping on Zwift and doing some races 
it pushes you hard. It can be really great training. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I fully agree. I actually wrote an article about using Zwift racing as training and a similar thought that we just had with the group ride. You can turn this race into motivation for you to do different things, right? You choose a crit course, maybe you're getting that repeated sprint. You use one with a climb, maybe you're getting that longer thresholdy sort of effort. But you have all of these people around you and you have that motivation. I know I personally, you know, I dig deeper on a Zwift race than I ever do in a workout. And uh, I always hit peak powers there. So it's pretty powerful. Well, let's hear what Jennifer has to say. My favorite workout is a Zwift race. <laughs> okay. So why is that your favorite? Uh, because I will hit higher intensities in a Zwift race than I'll ever hit in a workout. I mean, every time I get a peak power, you know, for the year, it's in a Zwift race because I'm not sitting there staring at a power screen. I'm staring at a wheel that I'm trying to stay onto or, or something along those lines. I just perform better that way. <laughs> so how often do you do Zwift races? Usually once a week, probably every, I'm doing this, I do the Zwift racing league every Tuesday with, with my team. And that's, that takes a break every now and then, but yeah, in general, once a week. Okay. And do you just race them and, and try to perform your best? Or when you're using them more for training, do you try to do anything particular with it? Yeah. So um, the team time trials are great for like an over-under type workout where you are doing the high intensity for 30, you know, the, the, the anaerobic VO2 um, when you're on the front for 30 seconds and then you're recovering at tempo in the back. And I think that's a great workout. Um, that's one of my favorites. But also I will go, I'll go into races like this week, you know, in my build up to Belgian waffle for the next few weeks, like the races on Zwift, you know, I can use them, but they have to be hard. So which is what my coach will tell me. If, if the race isn't hard enough, you go make it hard. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times we'll try kind of like crazy team tactics or, or attacks, you know, that may have, don't have a prayer of working, but it just keeps it fun and keeps it hard. That makes a lot of sense. So what are some examples of some just like attack and put your head down until somebody catches you or attack and then sit up or? So a lot of the Zwift races will have a climb, have climbs in it that make it hard enough in those races. But some of them are more flat where there's really, it's just a matter of like you sit in and sprint and that's really not a good enough of a workout. So in a race like that, you know, I'll try, we'll try, we'll try attacking and going off the front and seeing how long, you know, we can stay away for, or try a long range attack going into the finish line um, and, and see if we can hold it. And do you do this all year round or is this something that you just do at a particular point in the season? Um, I pretty much do it all year round. Zwift racing will probably back off in the summer. I, I probably won't be racing much at all over the next couple of months just because the, the Zwift Racing League um, takes a hiatus. Um, and then it probably won't start up again until until the fall. So we're probably in the last we're in the last season right now of the Zwift Racing League until until the fall. Just probably good timing because when when in life racing really heats up in the summer, it's it's, it's hard to mix in the, the Zwift racing as well. But in the in the winter, definitely doing it every week. Leonard Zinn is a guy that knows a lot about riding bikes. But interestingly, Trevor, when we asked him about his favorite workout, it had nothing to do with bikes. Which really surprised me because around here, Leonard Zinn is famous, if not infamous, for his long rides, particularly his birthday ride. He used to do these epic 10, 11 hour rides 
200 miles climbing up Mount Evans to 14,000 feet. So I was fully expecting Leonard to talk about that epically long, crazy ride, but he got a little more zen. He got a little bit more zen and he took it into the backcountry with some backcountry skiing. So let's hear him talk about that. Backcountry skiing. <laughs> it's walking up to the top of a mountain and then skiing down. That's like, you know, I, I've had a personal trainer working with me twice a week for 15 years religiously. And I love those workouts and everything. But if I have to choose my favorite workout, it would be something that I'd be doing outside where I actually get somewhere and some someplace beautiful. And for me, nothing exceeds that backcountry skiing, that the solitary experience of being up with just a few friends at the top of a beautiful mountain in the snow and, and then getting the payoff of skiing deep powder down the other side. So is it purely experience or do you think there's anything that you gain from it that helps elsewhere? Oh, definitely helps elsewhere. For one thing, when you're going up, you're going at a slow speed and you're having these incredible conversations that you learn stuff. Good you point. Know? And then with backcountry skiing, there's also the other aspect of making sure that an avalanche doesn't kill you. So there's, you know, you're constantly learning about the snow and the conditions and and all that sort of thing that that then makes a difference in how you make decisions related to dangers and risk levels everywhere in your life. It's very informative. One of the things that's super important as a human is to have as much beauty in your life as you can. That feeds your soul. And to be at the top of a mountain on a bluebird snowy day, hard to exceed that for beauty. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Dr. Inigo San Milan, Brent Bookwalter, Kendra Wenzel, Renee Eastman, Joe Friel, Jennifer Reel, Leonard Zinn, Trevor Connor, I'm Rob Pickles. Thanks for listening.